Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. Not except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, not wasting any time. Episode 3, the final episode of the Longhorn Blitz mailbag, because starting next week, we've got actual football to talk about. Longhorn's open camp this week, so let's go ahead and knock this mailbag out. First off, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and the daily fantasy guru. He's Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Wonderful. And the third member of our team, third last, but most definitely not least, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother, as we, always. We say we jump right into it, Let's fellas. It. Uh, ben, you got the first question up today. Uh, so my question is about the criticism I hear in regards to Stark, not in regards to Sark, not sticking, well, that's a tongue twister, to the run <laughs> in losses last year. Because to my untrained eye in those games, the O-line left him no choice due to poor blocking. So I would love to hear a breakdown of what you all saw. It's just hard to wrap my head around a play caller who's won championships not running the ball if it is working. Am I missing something? Here's where I think Sark went wrong. and I, I, We didn't talk about this last week, did we? What? This, this specific question. Okay, okay. But this kind of ties into an answer that that I gave last week. I feel like at times where Sark has tried to run the ball, uh, the intent has been right, but the execution has been very lacking. And that's execution on his part, execution on the O-line's part, and that falls back on two things. One, he's either entirely too predictable with how they're trying to run the football, or you're getting so far outside the box that you lose track of kind of who you are at your core running the football. Like the run game – the run game, you can have an idea of how you're going to run the football, but the run game is organic. There's stuff that opens up. It's no different than the pass game. There's things that open up throughout the course of a game. Like you might realize, hey, we're handling this three technique a lot better than we thought we could. So we can go back to a little inside zone more. We can run a little more inside, uh, a little more inside gap schemes. Uh, you know, you might say, hey, that backside defensive end is a problem. So guess what? Wide zones probably going to be out, probably going to need to hit it inside and hit a little tighter. And Rod, you know, run against that three safety defense, which a lot of people in the Big 12 are doing some form of it. When you run the football against a three safety defense, again, we've talked about it structurally. It invites you to run the football. You're like, oh my gosh, ever look at look at the depth of these safeties. We should be able to pound the football. The problem is if that middle safety, like Greg Eisworth did at uh, at Iowa State, that free safety is so that middle safety is so good filling the run filling running lanes that. If you try to run a lot of wide zone, a lot of inside zone stuff that takes a little longer to develop, 
everything's going to close up quick, and you're just banging your head trying to run the football. When you run it against a three-safety defense, you have to hit it fast, you have to hit it downhill, and you have to hit it hard. They did that against Iowa State. They did not do that against TCU. Yeah, they, I don't think they were able to also against TCU. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think for Sark individually as a play designer, as a play caller, um, you know, because this is old. He's a West Coast offense guy, so the old West Coast principle is, you know, you find your best three, four running plays and you stack them, which stacking means you build on them, you put play-action game on them, boot, rollout, waggles, whatever. You kind of build on that concept. This is our money concept. We're going to run it a lot. All right, We're getting a lot of yards on this, and our success rate's really high. Our explosive uh, rate is really high in this run play, whatever it may be, outside zone, inside zone, power, whatever it is. Um, and you build on it. For Sark, the truth is, I think for him, the struggle is right now, he has no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He has no idea really what that is because Bijan and Rojo mm-hmm. was so extraordinary. Yeah. At being able to to take plays that should have been a loss and should have been a negative play mm-hmm. and turn them into positive plays. And and just two NFL running backs in terms of their yards after contact and yards after you know, yards after contact and their basically their ability to create on their own. Mm-hmm. All right, without necessarily the the scheme creating for them. Because of that, and I, I don't have all the analytics with me, but we can go deeper into this because I did, I did the deep dive on this right before the draft. Remember I told you guys, I said mm-hmm. that, that, that offense, even before the bowl game, I said the offense is going to struggle yeah. without Bijan and Rojo because the stats and analytics say they are generational talents at breaking tackles and getting yards after contact, mm-hmm. which means a lot of your plays that should have been negative plays, if it's just a normal human being back there, <laughs> uh, they, that would be a negative play and a loss, and then you're operating behind the chains. So Sark hasn't really had to deal with that. He's had training wheels, actually, yeah, for the last few years as a play caller, even going back to his first year at Bama. I mean, it's not first year at Bama, that last year at Bama, I should say. Uh, that last year at Bama, and hell, I mean, damn near any year at Bama. Because <laughs> yes, right. it's Bama. <laughs> he had the four receivers his first year. You, yeah. got five, you, got, you had five stars on oh, the field. You had four first So you had, you had a lot of, you, not, not training wheels, just advantages in that offense. But when you got to Texas, your run game had training wheels. And the training wheels were B. John and Rojo. The truth is, so Jeff, you could call plays with Bijan and Rojo back there. It doesn't yeah, take much talent, does. guys. I mean, there's not a there's not a play they can't run efficiently and effectively. Some may vary as to their success rates and how effective they are, but man, Bijan got it picked in the top ten. And yeah. go look at him in training camp now. Your highlights are already coming out. He's been in training camp for like a week. He's got multiple highlights already coming out in training camp. He is the freak that we all thought yeah. that he was going to be. All right, uh, for Sark, we saw his running game firsthand. For the first time, without Rojo and Bijan, in the Washington game. Mm-hmm. And they averaged, I believe, 2.8 yards per carry as a team. There were a lot of dang coaching mistakes and miscalculations by Sark in that matchup in, ter- in terms of the running game, yeah. in regards to the running game. Why a lot of that, that stupefied us. Like, what the, why would you, why Keelan, why, I know Jonathan Brooke, the injury, okay, but, but, okay pitch count, then why not use the reps late? And then I said, okay, you know what I mean? Just like, okay, yeah. what's going on? The lack of creativity, the lack of innovation in the running game. So for Sark, that's why I think you brought Paul Christie in, and that was one of your big additions this offseason was you need help in the running game. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. Like I said, I think, and I, like I said, I don't necessarily think it's his fault. I do think when you have Bijan and Rojo and you're calling plays for those guys and you've done it for the last two years and you're coming off you know, a, a, a career year at Alabama with all that talent, I do mm-hmm. think it kind of, I, I, I think it distorts. Lulls you, it lulls you it into distorts, a false sense of security. It, distor- it distorts his reality. 
Yeah. That he's a he's 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 very creative in the run game. It's like actually, I'm I'm not sure you're creative as much as you've been really lucky and good for you yeah. in the running backs that you have inherited. Now I'll give him credit. Also, Stan Drayton and Tashore Choice. You know, having Stan Drayton there before Tashore Choice, and he picked in Tashore Choice. That was money by him picking a great recruiting running back coach who's also recruiting top notch running back. So maybe you'll be able to replicate and recreate that. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, I think he just had some training wheels, and now we're going to see them without those training wheels. And oftentimes, kids, the first time they ride without a training wheel, they'll fall a couple of times. Mm-hmm. They'll bust their head so they figure out how to balance themselves, and I think we're going to see that with Sark in the running game potentially. I, I think a lot of that falls on Kyle Flood, too, to be more dynamic in the run game, and a big part of that is early in camp. I know you've got position battles to figure out, like of who's going to be of the three guys you've got on the interior, Cole Hudson, uh, Hayden Connor and DJ Campbell. You got to find two starters. Two two guys have to start the opener. So you got to figure that out. And you got some personnel stuff to figure out. But I think the main thing is figure out that core group of eight guys you've got. Right? If it's the five starters with Campbell, uh, Nato Mezulu, and uh, and Cameron Williams, figure out what they do best. And then you have to. And to me, that's what you got to do. It starts with what can my O line handle? Because you can have all these creative ideas in the run game. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a gap guy, and then we're going to run all these gap schemes. All right, if my own line can't block gap schemes, really, if they're a better zone-blocking line than a gap scheme line, it really doesn't matter how many elaborate gap schemes I've drawn up because they ain't going to work. So I think that's the big thing they got to figure out early in camp. The earlier, the better. What can this O-line do? And then let's build a run game off that. And that's where I think, Rod, you're spot on. That's exactly where Paul Chris is going to help you out going to yeah. bridge that gap. Paul Chris, I mean, when you think of Wisconsin, yeah, there was a lot of boring football, but they're really good at running the football. Yes, and like that's the one thing that made them boring to watch, but you knew the, what they were going to do, and it was really hard to stop them for many years. And I pulled yep. the numbers real quick. When you look at it, Bijan, it was 68.9% of his yards after contact, <laughs> and it was 74 74- Point one percent for Stupid. Rojo. I mean, four point <laughs> three out of five point eight. Eight percent and seventy four percent of their yards were after contact. Yes. Wow. And and that's the thing. Your missed tackles force was one fifty on three hundred fifty one carries, but on a per rush Both combined. Uh, yeah. Okay. And per rush, uh, numbers were four point two after contact for Bijan out of his six point one, and four point three for Rojo out of his five point eight, wow. which is how you get that sixty eight point nine and seventy four point one. So both average four yards after more than four. More yeah, than four point <laughs> two and four point three. I was like, why wouldn't that distort? That distorts anybody's reality, man. That's just exactly. Come on, and as a coach. When you look at the other backs, the one thing that we did notice though, in a lot of the time, these small samples, you know, you don't want to trust them because it over volume is going to come back down. But Jonathan Brooks was elite in the few carries that he had getting yards after contact last year, over five. Thing was, is to your point, Jeff, he also seemed to be a bit more of a predictable run game with him. He was 21 zone uh, rushes to only nine gaps rushes. So, mm-hmm. like, a guy, I mean, it could fit. I mean, you had Bichon was a guy that when he was young, you saw him just excelling in the zone scheme, and it makes total sense. But it'd be nice to be able to a guy that can just plunge that, ahead if you need him. Yeah, that's that skewed a little bit too, Matt, because a lot of his a lot of Jonathan Brooks carries came when the game when was already in hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. you're you're basically just running, you know, just your base stuff at that point. You're Which not is getting, also why the yards agreed. after contact yeah. for him are skewed exactly. And all, yeah, and that's why I brought it up on mm-hmm. the front. Yeah, end, no, that you don't want to trust it, but at least it's good to see because sometimes 
like last year when we were looking at defensive stats, we're able to find little nuggets of guys yeah. that, well, hey, this guy performed really good and in a small thing. Let's see if he yeah. can continue to yeah. do it over volume. Yeah, you did it with – I think Jade Barron was a guy you, you did, did it with. Byron Jaren Murphy Thompson. was a guy, I believe. Yep. You guys identified like the year before. Mm-hmm. That he, hey, There's he, a he couple can, of them. He keeps this pace and this He's rate with more good. reps. Yeah, he could end up being a yeah, and, uh, player. But that what Matt just did, that's what makes the you know rabbit hole in on football. That's what makes it fun because – like Rod, one of our mentors, John Madani, I, I love what he said one time. He's like, hey, man, numbers are like a bikini. They show you a lot. They don't show you everything. Mm-hmm. And you got to find that tie-in and where you say, okay, bro, here's Brooks's numbers. Okay, but he's like we just we just did basically what we just did. Okay, yeah, he's playing late, so the yards per carry might get skewed. But look at yards after contact. Yeah, you are running your simple runs, but you are running your simple runs. Or that was in terms of mm-hmm. is he a zone guy or a gap guy? Yeah. You're running more simple stuff, but you're running more simple stuff. It's more predictable. That's why for him, yards after contact so big. I don't care what point in the game you're talking about. If the defense knows what you're doing and you're still getting yards, you're you're onto something. Uh, Rod, to your point though, before we move on, talk about the O line couple of numbers that I really like looking at are uh, go to football outsiders. I love looking at their power success rate and their stuff rate. Mm-hmm. Just to refresh your power success rate, percentage of runs on third or fourth down, two or fewer yards to go that achieved a first down or a touchdown. Stuff rate, percentage of carries by running backs that are yeah. stopped at or around the line yeah. of scrimmage. Now, now, we did talk about Rojo and Bijan, what they did. Yeah. Texas was only 45th last year as an offensive line at stuff rate. So you're kind of middle of the road. Troubling. Yeah. Considering you had elite generational extraordinary talents in that category, mm-hmm. which the stats also reveal. So this is when you can you can kind of look at the stats and analytics and they can tell you more. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll get a sneak peek at some side boob or you know, <laughs> I mean she's got a string bikini on because the truth is this is not a good run blocking O line. No, and They're here's not. the here's actually, the numbers. Bijan and Rojo were going, they were actually running behind Depending on what analytic you want to look at, uh, an average to below average run blocking O line. They were actually a better pass blocking oh, much O line yeah. than they were a run blocking O line. So then that was exposed in that bowl game. So to that point, I agree with you. That it's not surprising to me. It actually lines right up with the film. You want the one the, the number that really disturbed me though? Ninetieth in the country in power success rate. Mm. He's yeah. at forty fourth in stuff rate. Forty fifth in stuff rate. Ninetieth in power success rate. Yeah. That's, like, that's that's when everybody knows you're running and you got to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why it yeah. was against TCU. It was zero point one yards before yeah. contact per rush. Yeah. You're yeah. getting literally like three inches before yeah. you're contacted against elite or good D line. Yeah, the research that I did before the draft basically revealed exactly what you guys are are saying now that the O line actually underachieved last year. The hope is that it was a it, it was. Not a young old line. Well, it was in parts because you had two freshmen starting on the old line, yeah. uh, but they hadn't played that much together. And that O line's about continuity. He's working as a group and a team. And now you've got all five of the starters coming back with upgrades potentially with higher upsides behind them. And I think one of the remedies for a lackluster running game is going to be start going to play more six O line package. Uh, Kyle Flood Paul loves Chris. it, talks a lot about it, and you got like I said, that's one of your deepest positions. Mm-hmm. You could potentially put six. NFL caliber offensive lineman out there, whatever, depending on what your projections are. And I think for Sark, that's something you may see him do, try to play bully ball, but also working with the deception of presenting power packages and being able to pivot to play action pass principles, which Sark loves to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They took a lot of play action deep shots out of that 6 0 line oh my God. last year. Yeah. Uh, Henry wants to know, I don't know how 90% much time. Rate. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how much time we'll spend on this. Uh, basically, he's talking about the the hate Texas gets, uh, and as he puts it, 
He says fans to, you know, when the subject of UT football arises, opposing fans can get nasty. <laughs> I said, that's okay. I get it. He said, lots of money. I haven't done crap in a long time. But the sort of vitriol uh, saved for Texas seems different than other schools, except maybe Michigan. Uh, he said, objectively speaking, do we deserve it? Has my school talked a special line of crap that I just don't notice? Did the loss play so rough that the college football community just began to hate us? Uh, basically said, I don't want to be that guy. If my school is a bad guy, i like to know it. I don't want to be the, quote, everyone hates us, end quote, guy. If there are good reasons for everyone to hate us. I have some Aggie friends uh, that, get, wow. that get how act their whole deal is right now, and I want to uh, sort of – I want that sort of perspective if it is deserved. Is the hate Texas gets deserved? <laughs> that's funny. It, it's that's a very there could be a whole podcast this, on that. This, honestly, whoever wrote that email, um, God bless you. There's so many people in in our in our society now that can't have that outlook, whether it be politics or religion or anything, to to be able to to step outside the bubble. And, and step outside look. of your alliances, yes, it's right, and just say, hold up, is the other side, is their view of us, is it accurate? Yeah. They say a lot of stuff, is it accurate? Should we, should we self-examine what's going on with the perception of us? I, lo- I love you. Hope you're doing it with every aspect of your life because it's, it's beautiful. Shout out to you, Henry. Yes, thank you, Henry. That's, that's be- it really is because nobody does that anymore. Nobody wants to step outside their tribe yep. and go, hold up, is my tribe right? Are we first of all? Are we doing what's right? Are we but normally are we, in some we, tribes? We, I get yeah, you. Killed. I know my tribe. I know my tribe. All we all agree because we're all in the bubble. But or do is is there everybody's perception of my tribe and what they're saying? Is it accurate? And if it is, is it a way for us to self evaluate and then improve ourselves? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's beautiful. I'll be honest. I, I had to do that on the site. Uh, there was a point a few weeks ago. People were complaining like Jeff, you haven't been as productive as you were and. There were some people that defended me, but I said, yeah, I haven't because <laughs> exactly. um, I'm a dad now. Uh, I, I Well, up until noon today, I had two jobs. So I'm only down to one. <laughs> It'll be a lot more productive. <laughs> yeah. Take out that three hours a day. 10 to noon suddenly just up for me. Not only 10 bit. to noon, then driving back yeah. and forth from St. Marcus. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. no, but I'm like, yeah, I'll admit one. it. Like, yeah, the content <laughs> hasn't been, my content hasn't been what it was a few years ago, but... I'm planning on changing that exactly. now that I've got some time. You're also, I've been that. doing like yeah. eight columns a day on there. And I'll say this about Texas. A lot of it is, I just because I've, I've had that that same thought, a lot of it is they hate us because they ain't us. Because mm-hmm. I do believe there are a lot of reasons to be jealous and envious of Texas. A lot of it is larger than just Texas. Texas represents something to a lot of people, which is we don't necessarily, there's a lot of, what's the word here, disdain for wealth immense amounts of wealth in this mm-hmm. country billionaires who are just stack stockpiling more and more wealth and texas kind of represents that too by the way yeah big oil money especially in the nil era that university yeah. yeah like so how you look at you know, elon musk and uh you know jeff bezos we are that of college sports and not a lot of people love elon musk and jeff bezos and then know, add oil we, we respect to them it. respect that them being thought leaders and their immense talent but i mean there is just this natural kind of disdain in our society for immense wealth and Texas represents that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Psychologically. But, and also, think about this. The, considering the wealth and the advantages and living in Austin and all that stuff, guys, there is not, and we're talking about football here, right? Football. Don't give me that Director's Cup BS. Are we talking about football here? All right. Like, whoa, Hang whoa, the banner. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Director's Softball, Cup banner. Basketball. Give me that. Okay. I, I get it. Yes. Okay. They're all great. But y'all know what moves the needle and what we're talking about here is Longhorn Blitz is about. 
considering the resources and the advantages, no, it's the, it's the most underachieving program in college football and maybe in the history of college football. That annoys people. Mm-hmm. That's annoying. It is. It is. Yeah. It's like, you got all these advantages, then win. Like, you keep talking about, well, NIL, we're the leaders in the NIL world. Nobody surpasses Texas. Okay, great. What are you doing with it? Any, oh, yeah. man, Austin, best place to live in America. Nobody, no place is better than Austin. Elon Musk even moved here because it's awesome. Okay, win then. And even oh, when you no, win, like, as you know from your time on the 40 No, 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 no. It's about that. It's about winning, man. It's about winning. Win. If you would be, if you'd be, you should be Bama right now. Then everybody will fear you and respect you, but nobody's hating on you because they can't hate because yeah. you're winning. So the biggest part of it is the same thing that upsets me. You got all these advantages. You got tons of them. All right. You shouldn't be complaining. You got first world problems. Everybody else has got other. You got first world problems. And what are you doing with it? Have you won double digit games? Are you competing to win the conference title? What are you doing with it? So unless a lot of it is, okay, yeah, I see all your advantages. That's true. But you know what? You're wasting them. You're yeah. wasting the advantages. I should have them. Texas, like I should have the advantages. I'm doing way more with less than you are doing mm-hmm. with more. I said it time and time again. Text to me in my lifetime. You're a spoiled rich kid, man. Texas and Texas a and <laughs> You got affluenza. Yes, and te- nobody likes that. Texas did have that run <laughs> under Mac Brown, that 13-year run under Mac Brown, where it was great. But Texas and Texas A&M, in my lifetime, are the two most underachieving programs in the country. Texas A&M's got an excuse, though. Because they're a little brother. They always have. Yeah, them. true. That's the excuse. You, so you're supposed to naturally underachieve. This is big brother here. Right. Yeah. But e- <laughs> even even though, right, I'll say this, though, what I, was, what I was trying to say earlier, even when you win, the resources and the advantages are such that why can't you win championships? Who cares if you won 10 games? Why aren't you winning championships? That's why, like, two oh, years in a row. And you were a bum. And I was a bum. Well, and that's why, like, 05 to 09. Like, <laughs> oh, right. yeah, oh, 05 to 09 was the span where, like, that's what, when you think what Texas football is, that's actually not what it is. It's like those five years is what you hope it would be all the time. And it's yeah. almost impossible to stay there. But, like, if Texas were to compete at that level every single year, I think it would be at that Bama level. That's what mm-hmm. you'd hope yeah. for. And that's where it was so weird that, like, the second the clock turned 2010, I know we've talked about it before, it was like Bama ripped your heart out. It's literally not only – because people forget about where the uh, program was. Like, you had not only had baseball win in 02, almost win 03, 04, and then win in 05 – but then it was back up there, and in like in '09, went and almost won in the College World Series. You had basketball at that time get to number one in the country for the first time ever, That's true. and that was right after uh, the Elite Eight in '08. Mm-hmm. The year after KD, you had the Elite Eight in '05, and then the second that Colt got hit by Alabama and was pulled out of that game. That team plummeted from being number one in the country in basketball that exact same month. In mm-hmm. baseball, that 2010 season became a failure and fell apart. And at that point, everything, all three went from being at the top, and it's like, Texas, I don't see how this machine could ever stop. And you get the egos, and you're like, oh, Texas is huge. Texas is Texas. We're the Joneses. We say, And everybody talked about it and talked about it, and then you become more about talking about it 
and not performing it. And at the same time, Saban was all about it, and he totally went and took it, like, took over the college football world. Give give Texas some credit. They tried to get Saban, and Matt put the kibosh on. I love (laughs) Matt. Three years later, three years later, knew that if Nick Saban came after him, because he's a a good coach, no good coaches, ask Sean Payton. Uh, He knew he was like, man, this guy's coming after me. There will never be a Matt Brown statue. Matt Brown statue won't exist. Matt Brown statue will be a small statue inside the T Association. (laughs) And Nick Saban out that big statue out there after winning three titles. So especially in the state of Texas, ooh wee! Before it became the quarterback mecca, oh my god! Man, the only thing that the only thing that stopped Nick Saban's dominance was the fact that he didn't own the quarterback mecca. Like all yeah. those, remember what took him down? Basically, was great quarterback play, and yeah. he, he would have been in Texas. He would have probably been able to monopolize great quarterbacks too. Mac knew that was coming, so they tried Texas. They tried. They saw it coming, and Mac was like, "Nah, nah, nah. Mm-hmm. I got this." Uh, no, Mac, you didn't. I love you. You're a great man and a great coach, but. Bob Stoops got the upper hand on you on that one, bro, because Bob Stoops stepped down, let Lincoln Riley step up, and then Oklahoma kept the party going. Texas did not because Mac was worried about Mac, right? That's the yeah, truth. It is. Yeah. You know, some some guys are, you know, parade upon box. Mac was that guy. He didn't want parade to Parade upon box, baby. That's all I got. And you know what? I ain't mad at you. I, don't know. I wouldn't have gave up my spot, but Bob Stoops did because yeah. he loved Oklahoma more than he loved himself. I love Mac, but Mac loves Mac more than Mac loves UT, and it's okay. And Mac wasn't ready. That he was, Mac wasn't ready. He's talked about it at the time to just retire. Now, if if Colt went different, he had already had it set up. He was going to walk off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. He had a head coach and waiting. Oh, yeah. Like we totally forget it. Even though he's a spirit animal of this podcast, it was all aligned that way. He was ready to give it to Muschamp, and then. Once you had that happen that day against Saban, it caused a four-year dragging of the feet that just never recovered. Amen. It is so true for people in positions of power, man. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And that's exactly what happened to Mac in Texas. No question. Uh, Riley, we'll get to a couple of your questions real quick. Uh, says, I think everyone is expecting Texas to run a little more quick game this year. What concerns do you have with running more quick game or what defensive strategies will be in place to limit our quick game slash passing game in general? This is a two-part question, so that's part one. Oh, you want to answer part one? Yeah. I don't think there's really – no, because Texas has so many weapons, there's no way for a team to effectively eliminate the quick game. Because if you limit the quick game, that means you're playing bump and run coverage outside on the corners, first of all. Mm-hmm. Right? It means corners are in bump and run coverage, taking away the initial slant, the hitch, quick out, taking that away. That leaves you vulnerable right there against Texas. Guys like Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell. Yeah. On that. So I was like, all right, you can play bump and run, but good luck with that because mm-hmm. you ain't good. If your technique is not proficient, oh, man, you are left out there SOL. Uh, also, how do you take away that? And you can just move, obviously move guys in the slot, and you can double-team guys in the slot, have an underneath defender taking that away, an over-the-top defender, and, that, and that's good. But then, like I said, Football is a numbers game at its most rudimentary level. You're going to be having someone to take away the underneath and the over the top for your uh, slot defenders. All right, then if that's if that's Jay Witt, okay, then you got X Man out here. You're going to double X Man. Okay, good then, because that means JT Sanders is one on one. So all right, we'll take that. Probably with the linebacker. Yeah, yeah. If your plan is to go bump and run. Uh, and say you'll go bump and run on Jay Witt, and he'll uh, your underneath defender. He'll take away all these quick game, and then the over the top defender will take the deep route. 
Okay, great then, because I don't have to make that guy X-Men. I can take X-Men outside. Then you want to double X-Men? Okay, then mathematically, then you cannot put eight in the box, and you also cannot mm-hmm. double J.T. Sanders. So J.T. Sanders one-on-one with your safety or Think about linebacker? This. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that all day, every day. See, it's essentially, you know, have y'all seen that, uh, that movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once? That's the Texas offense this year. That's what you can present to the, to the defense. You can be everything, everywhere, all at once. You got yeah. that many weapons. You got that many weapons. So it really, they, there's no way for them to take away everything. Now, they can strategically say, all right, on this down, we know Sark is obsessed with X-Man. He's going to want this play on this down, this predetermined throws. And we know that Quinn Ewers is a two-read quarterback, so he's only going to get to the second read, not going to get to the third one. So that gives us advantages on how that we can tactically game plan and strategically game plan what our defense is going to be and what will take away on any given down. We can't take away everything at one time because everything everywhere all at once yeah. and that's exactly where like so, the, but if so Sark adjusts and Quinn just they really shouldn't be stopped and that's often. what I was gonna say like <laughs> that's where it really comes down to then understanding the man and you know the whole idea of playing the hand or the man and you yep. got to know who's on the other side and also with the players your tendencies it's like all also have to be reading the same thing going into the play because if it does come down to the math problem, as long as y'all are all diagnosing the defense accurately pre-snap and all on the same page, the defense is going to give you the answers and let you know exactly. where the balls needs to yep. go. You just have to all get to that point where you're all seeing everything together. And that's where like having a guy like JT Sanders, having that type of chemistry with Quinn Ewers and going back to in high school knowing each other, like those things matter in forming that type of chemistry and understanding with just a look or a glance, you know, that you see what the other person's seeing and is able to actually go out there and get that when you need to. So to that point, because he's such an astute observation, I agree with you 100%. That's why the three high three down defense is, is so effective versus mm-hmm. Sark's offense, right? Because I just need to make sure that all of y'all are seeing different things. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's y'all a look all you aren't the familiar thing. with. Defense is screwed. Yep. <laughs> That's when we talk about the picture. Change yeah. the picture. I, exactly, right? I just need to make sure that you guys are all seeing that wide receiver's not seeing the same thing as a quarterback. Quarterback's not seeing the same thing as running back. Center's not seeing the same thing. If I can do that, which is kind of what Dan Quinn does, he's brilliant at it. I've been studying Dan Quinn's defense lately. I'm so excited about it. I think it, it, strategically, it just schematically is my favorite defense in the league because yeah. it's built around those principles yeah. that – Let's create chaos and confusion. It's like almost what Jim Knowles did at Oklahoma State. Yeah. With the three high, three uh-huh. down. Right? It's like, you know what? Let's create chaos and confusion because an offense built on efficiency and accuracy, right? Uh, and efficiency, they don't operate when there's chaos around. So he just causes chaos in little pockets all over the field. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. I think in Sark, that works really well. That's why the three high, three down, because it's never really defined. Yeah. That's why it makes it tough on an RPO-based passing game. Like, so We'll get deeper into this as the season goes on because I'm doing some research down the rabbit hole. But essentially, that's why it matches up well with Sark's offense. By the way, like speaking of Jim Knowles' Oklahoma State defense, in the time he was there, did we see Oklahoma State do anything on third down other than play the sticks? Let's think about this the other no, day. No, flat foot reads, too. Yeah. Flat foot. Just, just, I mean, just, just being arrogant mm-hmm. and straight up daring you to throw it past the sticks. Because being it's gunny. brilliant. It's saying, listen, you want to take a high percentage throw – on third and six, you go ahead then. The, you want to take a, a sorry? Or you want to take a low percentage throw? You want to take a high percentage throw or a low percentage? Because high percentage throw is underneath and let them kind of run yards after the catch to get the first down. Um, probably the middle percentage throw will be getting it right at the sticks. The lowest percentage throw is the deep ball. So mm-hmm. they're like, we're gonna give you that. We're gonna give you the deep ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're gonna flat foot read everything. You run by us and complete the deep ball. Great. Ask Sark how easy that is. Yeah. It's easy to complete the deep ball, yeah. is it? No. Is it? 
<laughs> no, not when your exactly. national average is like 39%. Exactly. Give them that. Give yep. them that and run with it. Chances are somebody's going to overthrow somebody. Somebody's going to throw it. Somebody's going to drop it. And those are the little things that whenever I think it gets blurred, whenever people are talking about analytics and how it fits the game and you got to play the game on the field, it's like these are the things that coaches can look at and put yourself into it just like poker and put yourself in the most advantageous mm-hmm. situation. And like how we talked about McGuire last year, being going into with this into the season, knowing, all right, my team isn't going to be as good as these other ones, but I need to ding, find ding, an ding, edge. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll do something and I need four plays to get 10 means two and a half yards. Mm-hmm. That's a lot easier than three to get 10. Yep. And if you can go and put these in scenarios like you're talking about, well, not only does it pass beyond the sticks only complete 40 percent of the time but then it takes away the yards after contact so like when you're talking about stuff and having players like Bijan or Rojo well if you're going to go high percentage throws underneath so you're saying they're going to get it 70 80 percent of the time in the hands of that guy and then that guy gets 75 percent of his yards after After contact once you start tying these together they're like man that's really likely that they're going to get that first down Let's just cut the head off the snake and just start at a 40% success right. rate and it. go after that. And that's it. just where, like, that's what analytics teams are doing mm-hmm. behind the scenes for these coaches and breaking down and getting it to where they can quickly explain with the yardage on the field how likely they're going to get to that point and beat you. And when a coach sees that, he's like, all right, yeah, we don't want to get beat. Let's do it. And yep. it's some, some that food, simple. Some food for Love thought it. for next week. Love um, it. Just for – you know, Sark has talked about you know, Sark and Dan Quinn worked together in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Sark has talked about how he had PK meet with Dan Quinn before last year because mm-hmm. they're both D line guys. Kind of see maybe see football the same way. I, I sure as hell hope Sark is meeting with Dan Quinn and Rod as you talk about that process of reverse engineering a game plan. I wonder if Sark's had the conversation with Dan Quinn like, "Hey, how would you attack my offense? If you're game planning against me, how would you attack me?" Yeah, I'd uh, hope that's well, the first thing they I, talked about in the off season. I, I know I do it. It's not different than what he's doing. It's it's pretty simple. It just it's confusion. Yeah. Nobody runs. Nobody in the last five years runs more twists and stunts on the D line than Dan Quinn does with these Dallas Cowboys. Right. right. That's confusion. Center's always freaking out about. All right. So my pass protection that is set pre snap is definitely not going to match what's happening post snap. So there, he's already distracted. Quarterback's distracted because pass protection is set, but unsure. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> that ain't good. It's like, okay, so I'm a little uneasy because the pass protection is set, but I'm sure because we know these mofos ain't they these mofos not gonna look the same, right? So it, it's it's also you look at he also runs a lot of three three safeties. Now it's not three high, three right. down. That's not how it's described, but essentially a lot of the same principles are used. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you, you move those guys in the box, I move them. They're, they're movable chess pieces. Mm-hmm. I can put them damn near anywhere, and I got three of them. All right, three that are really good. And like I said, in, in Big 12, that's the three high, three down. So he would move those guys around a ton so a young Quinn Ewers would not be able to determine an RPO offense. When do I have the numbers in the box and when do I have a light box? Mm-hmm. I, I really yeah. don't know. I'm unsure. So when I hand it off, damn it, this three high, three down defense is the truth that tells a lie. I thought it yep. actually was a, a in the numbers advance for us, but it wasn't because he wasn't playing like I thought. So it's confused the quarterback. And Dan Quinn's playing more and more. Uh, pattern match zone, strangely enough, right. which Texas plays a lot of match quarters. He's playing more of that so that they can match up with different route combinations, uh, which if you do it right, then the quarterback can never really tell what defensive back has declared, this is my receiver. 
yeah. uh, when you're running a lot mm-hmm. of crossing routes and switch yeah. routes. And to add a layer to that, not only does it can you blur the line like pre-snap on the run and pass plays and what you're going to do if you aren't able to decipher it pre-snap, but think about modern RPOs mm-hmm. and the way that my, you if you cause that same type of hesitation, but it is on uh, in between a mesh point of a guy about to hand the ball off exactly. or pull it, Fumble. and now you cause <laughs> yeah, yeah. exact or the running back sees different and tries mm-hmm. to grab the ball or the QB yep. pulls. And so, like, the exact same confusion you're talking about, now we've added RPOs to 50% of our runner pass plays, and that same blurring of those lines mm-hmm. now can be so much more advantageous to one side because you can force a turnover strictly because you're causing that type of hesitation inside a play and not mm-hmm. even talking about reading correctly on the backside and then executing the pass, and, but also and, between the running back and, and the quarterback. And NFL in takeaways the last two years? Dallas. Dan Quinn's defense. Yes. Yeah. Exactly that reason. He does those same yeah, things. Exactly. And he came and got Demarion Overshone, who's viewed by some people like, oh, yeah, well, what's he going to play? It's like, well, I don't care what you call it. He was like the most impactful pass rusher on a per-snap basis. I'm pretty sure that's what Dane Quinn, one of the things that he saw. He's oh, like, no, wait, he saw, he said this that. tool, no, no, he said we that. can do that. He said that specifically after yeah. the draft. He said, I love the way he comes and rushes off the edge. As a matter of fact, they're using Leighton Vander Esch off the edge right now in Dallas mm-hmm. Cowboys training camp. I read that little nugget, which means that DeMar Vinovichon also is going to be using that same capacity. Uh, yeah. D- so, Demo yeah. was, in turn, if you look at the PFF grades, Demo was one of the highest graded off-ball linebackers as a rusher in the country last yes, year. Yes, he was. Yep. Yes, he was. He was better than any of the uh, any of the guys that were drafted higher, actually, mm-hmm. in the draft, too. Yeah, um, he was the second best in the conference. No, I just – Sark's got to do something because it, it just can't be – well, you're facing a three-high team. Go with God, I guess. You it's, gotta... not, it's not that simple, but it, it it's the most effective scheme. Yeah. kind of breaking down why versus Sark's ideology. It is, no question. If you've got the personnel, like Oklahoma ran that and we well, – Exactly. We saw. There you go. You say what the hell you want. Yeah, no question. That's saw how that point. went. Great point. Um Let's see. Uh, Nathan, we already kind of uh, – Riley, actually, we got to your your other question last week talking about schedule. Nathan, we kind of got to yours earlier on the offensive line, so thank you for sending that in. Uh, Herman, his question uh, – I said my question. He said uh, it is clear not not, <laughs> not, Tom? Uh, not Tom Bowl, Herman. Uh, by the way, did you, guys see, uh, did you guys see he's up to his old shtick at yeah, the FAU? Yeah, the lock the players out of the locker room, I did they need that. to earn the locker room. Yeah. But remember, oh. that works at universities at a certain level. It yeah. does work. You come to Texas, it didn't work as well here because mm-hmm. guys were. Oh, oh, that, that was my down. initial theory. Yeah, yeah, works. Works. Yeah, you can't works. coach them five stars. Yeah, exactly. Five stars. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, man? Right. As, long as, he, as long as he doesn't get himself into yeah. like some Pat Fitzgerald stuff, like he'll he'll, he'll succeed at FAU. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, that, and that, those types of players, I think it works. Yeah. Uh, he said, it is clear that we are loaded with explosive talent on offense and the ceiling is high. Rod, what confidence do you have in the strength of our defense at the corner and safety positions? I said, we seem to struggle oh, in coverage yeah. at times. Examples include Iowa State and K-State where we struggle. Do we have enough talent in the secondary? Or are we going to have to rely on the offense putting up a lot of points to win? No, they got the talent. Uh, actually, I'm I, I'm probably overconfident the in the secondary. Yeah, because I, I, I think Ryan Watts is going to be better. They like him at the boundary corner. Really, everything hinges on whether Terrence Brooks. Yes. And some people say maybe Gavin Holmes. I think it's going to be Terrence Brooks. If Terrence Brooks is going to be solid at the field corner, because if he is, they're going to be in a catbird seat. They're going to be in a really, really good position as a secondary because they'll have a lot of depth if he can hold up. And I asked Xavier Worthy, and Xavier Worthy told me, Terrence Brooks is the guy that when I go up against him, he gives me the most trouble. That's a really good sign. If Terrence Brooks doesn't work out, just make sure they have contingency plans. Um, and I think the contingency plan for me, 
I, you know, I'm trying. I'm going to put my best five out there in the mm-hmm. secondary, or put your best eleven on the field, whatever it may be. I might go three safeties if right. you like Keaton Crawford that much, and you like, you know, Jaron Thompson's your elder statesman, and you know you got Jalen Catalan. Hell, man, just move Jaday Barron out there to the field corner. He can handle it. He, he, that's where he went last year when Texas had issues. Matter of fact, demanded it at one point in the game when there were injuries. I think he had. You can play your three safety defense there. Uh, we'll, yep. get, we'll get to this and, one. And Jade Barron was a lead in zone coverage, and that's the side you would have he's more great. zone. Yes. We'll get Thank to you. Grayson's question. Will be the last and one. He's great tackling. Mm-hmm. Grayson's question will be the last one, and if we didn't get to your question at this point, Rod and I will yeah. we'll we'll figure out how to split this up. I may even do a mailbag at Horns twenty four seven answering some of these questions because some of the leftovers are good. Uh, Grayson asks, who's most important for Texas winning the Big Twelve in twenty twenty three? Is it Sark? Is it Quinn? Or is it the defense? Oh, oh, I gotta choose one of those. If I'm gonna choose That's one of those, one. I'm choosing Sark. Yeah, I was gonna choose Sark too. This is the thing. There are times where talent can outweigh coaching. I learned this from Bucky Godbo, and he's mm-hmm. right. can't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because that what I always say about the Jimmys and the Joes, how often do you see a team with average to above av- average talent and great coaching win as opposed to a team with average to above or below average coaching with elite talent? Right. Like if you had to choose which one would you choose? I think most people would say I'll choose the I'll choose the talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, coaching sure. yeah I, coaching's great, but it can only get you so far if you're going up against elite talent. Uh, hopefully, Texas has both. Yeah, but in this situation, what's what has been proven from Sark's standpoint is that he is just an average to above average, slightly yeah. above average coach. I mean, he wins like fifty five percent of his games. He's not even at sixty percent. So I'm not dogging him anything. I'm just saying let's, let's work with the facts mm-hmm. here. So. Honestly, I'll take Quinn. You tell me if Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers Heisman finalist, I'll take Quinn Ewers over Sark. Because to me, that would tell me that Sark's system, his system is his system. If Quinn is working the system in an immaculate fashion, like he is just one of the best quarterbacks in the country in yeah. that system, that'll take Texas further, honestly, to my question, than Sark. Because what Sark's ceiling Agreed. I don't know what Sark's ceiling is right now. I have no idea. If, I don't if, think, if any, I don't think anybody could right tell now, you. Yeah. His ceiling is you're a 55% win coach. That's your ceiling. What's Quinn's ceiling? I've been told Quinn's ceiling the draft. is one of the greatest quarterbacks that's been, ever been recruited in the history of college football. So if you're telling me I got, I got, I got, basically I'm going off hope that one of these guys can reach their ceiling, I'll take Quinn's ceiling. Yeah, I'll take yeah. Quinn's ceiling as a number one overall pick potentially and you, what yeah. he could do for Texas. Was it Sark recently? With Sark's ceiling, maybe I'm a 10-win coach. Yeah, I'm phrase not, that way. I, I, I agree. He's a great coach. I get out coach. I get out with it. I'm not, this is not, I'm just going off facts. Right, no. Y'all can go off faith and all this. Y'all to, this is what I think. Well, I'm going off what you think. I'm going off with the facts. And the fact is that Quinn Ewers has been projected as w- one of the greatest evaluations of the quarterback position yeah. coming out of high school in the history of recruiting. No and no. everybody's seen the arm. So I'm, if I'm going on ceiling, I'm going on Quinn Ewers ceiling. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm looking at it more from the standpoint when you're of... you're saying it will cover up Sark's flaws. Sark's, yeah. Sark's ceiling, I don't know if it'll cover up Quinn's flaws. That's a good way to look at it. I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at it more from the standpoint of, I, I think this team is talented enough to be a 9-10 win team on their own. I agree with that. I'm, lo- I'm looking at it from in those one or two games where you don't play well or like the Alabama game where you need some kind of coaching edge. In those one or two games you're going to need like mm-hmm. that, can Sark do enough? 
I worry less about Quinn being capable in those games than I do Sark. Yeah, I'm not worried about Quinn. I've, being I've seen. I feel like I've heard enough good things about Quinn to feel like it's not a facade. I really do feel like he's growing into the position, and we'll see more of the complete version of Quinn Ewers' college quarterback this year than we ever did at any point last mm. year. My thing with Sark is, can you push the right buttons in those critical moments to win your team a game when maybe the defense doesn't play well? Maybe Quinn's off that night. Can you figure out what needs to be done to get your team across the finish line so you don't lose a game that you don't look back at the end of the season like, damn, how'd we lose that game? Well, Sark decided it was a good idea to just keep throwing the ball when Quinn clear, clearly wasn't having it that night. I, don't know. I, I, I looked through the game, and I brought this up last time. Give me the game that Sark gave you a schematic advantage, and that's the reason you won. Went all the way back to 2021 K-State. That was the game that I could analyze and say. And I agree with Schematically, you. that's gave you an edge. So, for me, that you won the game. And some people say Oklahoma. Oklahoma, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances. Let's be honest, guys. All right? So, I, I looked at the question a little bit differently than you did. I'm just looking at it. Like, you know what I'm saying? If, if these guys reach their ceiling, who can take you further? I think Quinn's ceiling takes you further than Sark's ceiling. Because I don't know what Sark's ceiling right. is. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even disagreeing with you, Rod. I just say that's probably what it is. I think we're just looking at it. We're just looking at it different. Yeah, I think that's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's not a disagreement because I I agree with you. Know, yeah, I agree with what with how you're looking at it. I agree with that 100. Yeah. percent But for the purposes of answering the question, I'll I'll take Sark. Yeah. All right. So that's going to wrap it up. If we didn't get to your question again, Rod and I will figure out how we're going to divide these. I may okay, yeah. I may answer some of these on horns 24 seven, or I'll done. forward these we to Rod and dust uh, some into the uh, next few shows. That is true too. You find some good ones that we can sprinkle them in. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah. we'll figure it out. We'll get your question answered. Come hell or high water, uh, Matt. Thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome, Rod. Be appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at Horns twenty four seven and the Horns twenty four seven family. Thank you to the Longhorn Blitz family. Where thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Just type in Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget search Horns twenty four seven anywhere you get your podcast. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz when it drops. And don't forget to leave us. A five-star review. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.